Hello, and welcome back to Lost in Citations, our regular podcast where we speak to the producers of interesting works and see if we can learn a little bit more about them. Joining us today is Dr. Mabube Rakshandiru from Kyoto University of Foreign Studies. Very nice to make your acquaintance. Thank you so much for having me. And it's quite an interesting story about how this interview came about. When I was interviewing Dr. Aya Matsuda, we were talking about a former colleague of yours, Professor Hino. Could you give us a little background to your relation to him and uh, also some of the background to your studies in Japan? Um, yes, I uh, was Professor Hino's student uh, when I was master's student at Osaka University. And I took one of uh, his classes at the Graduate School of Language and Culture at uh, Osaka University. I uh, remember that he talked a lot about the uh, importance of paying attention to different kinds of Englishes, for example, Japanese English. And when I was listening to your previous interview with Ayamatsuda Sensei, I remembered, you know, how many times Professor Hino repeated the importance of different kinds of Englishes. And then um, I commented um, about that. And then that was how, as you mentioned, uh, we started to talk and I got to know more about this podcast series. Uh, so I uh, came to Japan about 10 years ago. I first came uh, with my husband for his PhD and then I started my master's degree uh, in 2014 and then following that my PhD in 2016 and studied uh, education both of them at Hyundai at Osaka University and I graduated in 2019 and as you mentioned I'm currently teaching at Kyoto University of Fine Studies this is my main university but I'm also teaching at uh, some other universities. The paper that we're going to be speaking about today is International Student Satisfaction at English Medium Graduate Programs in Japan, which you published in 2019 with Polina Ivanova. Could you give us some background to how you became interested in this particular part of English language teaching? Uh, so I started this research uh, when I was a master's student, and actually I became interested in studying EMI uh, in Japanese universities when I wanted to find an English medium instruction course for my master's degree, and uh, I found it to be really, really difficult. I was actually really interested in studying linguistics back in 2013-14 and I couldn't find anywhere um, that allows me to study in English not in Japanese because at that time my Japanese language and still it is not that good but at that time and that was something that I couldn't rely on my Japanese skills for studying at a master's uh, level and also the entrance exam and the interview for the enrollment was in Japanese that was the reason I became interested in uh, this topic. So for my master's degree, I researched Iranian international students who are studying in the English medium at Japanese universities. And I researched the same topic, but with a different case study in my PhD. So for my PhD, I researched uh, Japanese leading universities who are receiving TGU or Top Global University project funding. And I specifically looked at their support system in relation to the needs of the international students who are studying in the English medium. To give a little background to this, Japan has been trying to increase the number of international students on its higher education campuses for quite a while now. And one of the big pushes was to try and have 100,000 students by the year 2000. They reached that mark in about 2004. Then 
the G30 was the attempt to have 300,000 international students in Japan by the year 2020. And then the top global university project was started in 2014. And you note all of these in your paper. Why do you think that Japan is pushing to try and get as many international students as they can? So this is a competition going on all around the world, not only in Mm. Japan, and this is part of the internationalization uh, strategies. So EMI is being used as a means uh, to attract more international students, and international students are contributing to the uh, marketization and, you know, the privatization of uh, Japanese universities. And also for leading universities, international students also are important in terms of uh, the reputation and also the university's place in the Mm. rankings. Mm. This Mm -hmm. has connections to other issues and other challenges that Japan is facing. For example, the declining domestic population and also, as you say, pressure to internationalize and to be in competition with other universities around the world. Let's get into some of the paper. So this paper was actually a kind of a summary of my PhD dissertation um, findings. Um, I started with a questionnaire and uh, I tried to have access to as many students as possible in order to hear all of the possible uh, voices of international students who are enrolled in the English medium instruction courses. And then I interviewed uh, some of the students uh, who were volunteered to be interviewed. So after the follow-up interviews, I also interviewed some faculty members as well as uh, some of the deans and uh, vice presidents uh, and also support of students, uh, support of his staff in order to um, have a deeper, um, you know, knowledge and exploring deeply into the issues uh, and challenges uh, related to the support system at Japanese universities. How difficult was it for you to set up this project? I mean, you're looking at two different universities, you have quite a high end figure for both of the places that you are investigating. How difficult was it for you to recruit people to be part of the study and also to keep them connected with you during the course of your PhD? So actually, the first plan was to look at three different universities at, uh, you know, different stages, not only leading universities, but as uh, you mentioned, um, the having access to the students and also because of the ethical issues, that was really difficult to look at different uh, universities, especially those that uh, were um, still in the earliest stages of developing their English medium instruction programs. Mm. So... I had to kind of switch to the leading universities and also having access to students' mailing list, uh, even though the ethical review process was done at Osaka University was a huge challenge. I collaborated with uh, one of my friends, uh, so through her connection and also my connection, and throughout a year, I think it took us about a year to collect the data. Yeah, that was really challenging. So we had to use Facebook for having access to the students, as well as emails, asking different professors, asking them if it would be possible to share uh, the survey with the students. I I think only two or three full degree English taught programs, they um, volunteered to share 
the online survey with their students. Other programs, they mentioned that because of the privacy of their students, they are not allowed to or not allowed or not willing to uh, share a survey with their students. So yeah, having access to the students was the most challenging part of uh, the research, I would say. It's often difficult to keep in contact with students during the you do become, as you say, quite adept at using alternative methods of communication, you know, social media. As you, It really does add a different set of skills to the usual ones that you would expect to be using mm-hmm. in academic uh, research. So it's really interesting to hear that uh, you've had similar experiences. Based on the data that you collected. Could you give us some of the conclusions that you reached? The main objective was to find out the differences between uh, the graduate and undergraduate students' experiences. And uh, what I found was that they shared a lot of uh, similarities, uh, but uh, there were also some differences between the undergraduate and uh, graduate level experiences. And if I want to briefly mention these differences and similarities in terms of differences, because uh, graduate students are usually focusing on the research. So uh, the challenges related to the courses and classes were not really a huge issue in terms of their experiences compared to undergraduate students. And also the role of their supervisors, especially if they are PhD students, would be more important. And in terms of the shared challenges, uh, the main area was uh, very similar to the undergraduate level, which was uh, related to the structure structural challenges actually and mainly related to administrative infrastructure and for example the emails announcement and these kinds of stuff which are still pretty much you know monolingual only in Japanese so in that sense students have said that uh, many students said that they were kind of dependent to someone for translation and asking for help all the time, even though uh, international student support office staff were found to be uh, super super helpful and all the time willing uh, to help the students. But uh, because of uh, this monolingual infrastructure, students were in needs of asking for help and support. And, uh, you know, the general not takeaway, but kind of the con- the general conclusion was uh, that more systematization and more uh, structural support would be needed for the students, um, you know, uh, considering that uh, the number of uh, uh, graduate international students who are coming to study in the English medium in Japanese universities is increasing every year. And uh, the current system is more relying on the informal support from supervisors and also from uh, international student support office staff with a growing number and more uh, international students, um, you know, um, a better a systematic support, uh, including more bilingual um, announcements and emails and um, bilingual communication would be needed. Yeah, you note that, that this was one of the issues highlighted in other studies that have been done into EMI courses in Japan as well. Mm-hmm. Cementing the finding in, in your work is useful to send the message to the universities that this support system still is not of the required quality. There were a couple of mm-hmm. points in your study that I wanted to ask you to give a little bit more information about. One of them was that you noted that the length of time that the student had been in Japan significantly affected 
their levels of satisfaction or dissatisfaction with the program. Mm -hmm. And so I was interested mm -hmm. to hear that you'd been in Japan for about 10 years because you said that students who had been in Japan for 10 years or more were more likely to be mm -hmm. dissatisfied. Why do you think that is? So when they just, the students that I interviewed, those of them that um, they have just arrived in Japan and also they have little experience, they had a kind of a great image about studying in Japan and they have not yet experienced any challenges. So I think this is also kind of common to any other kinds of experience that we have when we just when we are just about to start, we are very powerful. We have lots of, you know, good uh, images in our minds. And then as we experience the difficulties and face different challenges, we feel like, no, maybe this is not what I had expected. So, yeah, I think um, the students um, who had less experience, um, they had a better image and they had not um, experienced the challenges and difficulties yet. But if uh, they had lived in Japan more, so they, uh, especially in terms of, you know, announcement and missing important um, pieces of information, also not being able to apply for uh, a number of different scholarships because of uh, their Japanese language ability and, uh, you know, uh, difficulty of making friends with Japanese um, lab mates. And a lot of other issues that I mentioned in the paper. So, and they uh, faced these kinds of challenges and they were more critical about their experiences when they were talking about that. So, based on your experience of being both an international student and a language teacher at Japanese universities, so you've seen it from both sides, mm -hmm. would you agree that the longer you are in Japan, the more likely you are to feel confident enough to criticize the system? So talking about my own personal experience, I would say that not after 10 years. So I have not been, you know, student at this stage because I, when I was a student, I had not this, you know, 10 years of experience yet. Mm. But now I say that now that I'm teaching, I feel like I'm, I have a better, you know, a kind of more positive image mm. of my experience, but you know, I'm not a student anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that it also really, really depends on, uh, especially for PhD students, really, really depends on the lab la laboratory that you are studying in. Mm. So um, as you know, the efforts and the power of the supervisor matters a lot. And if you are studying in a lab lab that uh, the supervisor is really supportive, is giving you enough feedback and uh, you don't feel like you are isolated and also you're, you have good lab mates who are giving you feedback, you, who are encouraging you. So I think a lot of different uh, factors play a role here. And talking about my own personal experience, I would say that my master's degree, I felt like that was um, a lot easier. But then when I was a PhD student, especially the difficulties of uh, data collection and also when I was uh, writing my dissertation, you know, getting enough feedback and also a lot of other issues. Yeah, I think in my PhD, that, that was kind of more difficult. But in general, I, I would say that uh, studying in PhD would be more difficult compared to master's degree. Yeah, but uh, in terms of the whole, my whole uh, overview about Japan, when I was a PhD student, uh, I think that I had a more negative image and I was more critical now that I'm teaching I, I can see more positive sides of my experience as well. 
So the paper that we're talking about is International Student Satisfaction at English Medium Graduate Programs in Japan. You said it took you about a year to gather all of the data. In total, from start to finish, how long were you working on this PhD project? Three years. So three years,、um, I think, in our major is、uh, pretty common to finish、uh, in three years. When I started my PhD, because、uh, as I said, the topic was pretty much related to what I have. I had done in my masters, so I was familiar with the literature already, and I had a plan in my mind.、Um, so I started to develop a questionnaire based on my、uh, previous experience that I had in my MA, and I actually attempted to collect data very,、uh, you know, early on. I actually interviewed a vice president and a dean at another university that I kind of used it,、um, you know, as An exploratory step、uh, towards my、uh, my research theme, and this helped me to come up with more ideas. But that university was actually supposed to be one of the, my target universities. But you know, after interviewing two a vice president and dean at that university,、uh, as I mentioned before, they said that they are not ready,、uh, and they think that、um, the、uh, internationalization efforts are just going on at the moment. So.、Um, I cannot ask their students to fill out an online survey. So yeah, data collection. I started really early on, but it took me a long time to build connections and ask more people for filling out the online survey. And finally, I had to collaborate with my colleague and my dear friend Polina, and she really, really helped me. I also collaborated with her on a part of her research, and this mutual collaboration was really, really helpful for me in terms of data collection and also data analysis. So yeah, the data collection was really difficult. And now that I am not a student anymore, I think that you know the. Connection. I think I also mentioned about that not in the paper, but in my PhD dissertation that uh, having um, access to the study participants would need a lot of work in terms of building trust. For example, many students uh, they um, felt like they needed to be informed about the study to make sure that they are not going to um, you know be involved in any kind of risks. And if I was allowed to have access to the students through their mailing list and having access to them through someone that they trust, I would say that、um, data collection would be a lot easier. But for PhD data collection, I don't know. Maybe that is only related, to, maybe to only my experience. But building trust and getting access to the students' mailing list was a huge difficult difficulty for me. Now at this stage, I'm about to start some data. At my universities, and I feel like as an instructor, this process is super easy compared to the time that I was a student. So I think that yeah, maybe this is what we really need in terms of. I also I can't talk about you know this issue in general, but I have also talked to some other friends, and they also face face similar problems in terms of having access. Uh, to the students, so you, we cannot go to different classes and, and knock knock and ask, "Can you please、uh, open this online and、uh, fill out this online survey?" Having access to them through their programs or 
their the program or their uh, course coordinator or someone like that uh, would make uh, the data collection a lot easier. And especially if the ethical review process has been done at the same university, so they are familiar with all of the documents and, you know, the risks, the benefits and everything about the ethical issues. Those are some skills that you pick up along the way. These types of skills are things that you don't think about when you start a study, but if you never develop them, then you'd, it would be impossible to finish it. I'm reminded of trying to get access to students in five other universities. So I had the main, my main university site at Ritsumekan APU, uh, but then I had two universities in Korea, two, in, two others in Japan, in Tokyo mm -hmm. and Scuba, and then mm -hmm. another university in China. And so trying to get mm -hmm. through these various processes to get access to the students, mm -hmm. that was a skill that you had to get good at fairly quickly. And I would mm -hmm. think that it was even more stressful for you having to try and get all this done in three years. Yeah, yeah, the short amount of time that you have. And also I had to publish my research in right. at least two journals. Yeah. That was also another issue. So a lot, and also, you know, working part time and when you have a child and also, so, you know, a lot of other things that are going on. So yeah, I, I would say three years is really difficult to, you know, wrap up everything. It took me more than eight years to get my PhD finished, but mm -hmm. that did allow me quite a lot of time for it to, yeah. for it to breathe and to develop these connections. It's one of the ongoing mm -hmm. themes that we've been hearing on the podcast and in the interviews of the connections that you make with your fellow researchers and how important mm -hmm. it is to have that structure, that supporting structure. Mm -hmm. Did you find that undertaking your research at a university in Japan made it easier for you to make connections and to and that's help you in your current employment? So this is actually really maybe an interesting topic because I, when I started my PhD, I was assuming that when I graduate, I'm going to find a job, not why finding a job would not be that difficult because I also studied the same topic, as I said, uh, in my master's and I already, I was already familiar with a lot of uh, people in Osaka University, also in my field. But for finding a job, no, I think, as I said before, um, it really depends on the lab and also how, how these connections and also I think also it depends on the luck so sometimes mm -hmm. ask you to you know for a job opportunity but then um, at that time you are not ready to start but then when you are ready to start if you are not lucky so I think I was not lucky in the beginning and um, I really developed my own connection um, after graduation so yeah I, I think not really <laughs> But in terms of data collection, um, I think that the current status, because I am one of the lecturers and uh, the universities that I'm working at, all of them, they have a certain uh, process and uh, different forms that I can fill out. And if I fill out these forms, um, you know, the ethical faculty, um, they, uh, the committee, they um, say that, okay, um, this study uh, looks like to be okay in terms of ethical issues. So I can have access to the students' mailing list. But as 
that uh, when I was a PhD student, we didn't have such system. So even uh, though I um, had finished the you know ethical review process, still I had to contact a lot of different I know all of different programs and different graduate schools, and I had to explain about my research myself. I remember even my supervisor sent uh, them an email and described the research, and they one of the graduate schools clearly stated that we are not willing to you know collaborate or not even this is not a collaborative we are not willing to allow uh, the PhD uh, students to share their questionnaires with our students. So maybe that was, again, something related to my own personal experience, and I cannot talk about it in general. But yeah, as a student, I think my status was not something that people could really trust me. But now that I'm, I am an instructor, and they have these things in place for the instructors that after finishing this ethical process, you can have access to the students. And I think data collection can become very easier. You note in the paper that a couple of the reasons why there might have been problems with communication in the programs, one of them might mm -hmm. be the kind of natural shyness of other Japanese students. But you also note mm -hmm. that some of the professors in the courses, in the EMI courses, might not really have accepted the course as something that the university should be doing. Mm -hmm. Do you think that since you started your work and now that there has been a better acceptance among the faculty that EMI courses and ETP courses are something that's good for the university? The field of study really matters a lot here. So mm -hmm. the professors were uh, majoring in STEM subjects, especially engineering and in national universities that are strong in this kinds of field, field of studies. For them, um, having EMI classes and communicating in English, I think this is this is something that is getting improved every day. But in humanities and social sciences, I would say that the improvement pace is really, really slow especially because uh, we are not really using English language in um, many humanities and social sciences majors. And uh, many professors, they have done this in Japanese medium for many years, and they do not uh, see this necessity for trying to introduce something in English. And as the previous research shows, still trying to teach in the English medium would be a you know, a difficult thing for many faculty members, especially in humanities and social sciences. In engineering and STEM subjects, I would say that this, the improvement is a lot better compared to humanities and social sciences. But the of Japanese students, I think that this one also really depends on the, again, the lab and a lot of different situations. But I would say that this is still a common um, issue. I have, for example, international students this semester that are studying English. Their, their main major is Japanese, but they are also studying some English. And they are not shy at all. <laughs> uh, they talk a lot in the class. They are very motivated and then they have to come up with a lot of different activities for them so that they don't talk too much in the class. But for my Japanese students, not all of them, but I would say uh, in general, they do not ask questions unless I try to create a kind of, you know, environment for them that they uh, get encouraged to be more motivated and ask questions. I just want to go back to the point about the differences between the STEM fields and the humanities. Do you think that that might be connected to internationally published research, which the STEM fields mm -hmm. are much more connected to and might feel more mm -hmm. pressure 
to be using English and having their research published in international journals, which are the majority of them mm -hmm. are published in English, whereas the humanities mm -hmm. professors might be less interested in publishing outside of Japan and therefore English is less important for them? Yeah, exactly. I think, yeah, that is one of the main reasons. And also, uh, when I interviewed uh, some STEM subject professors for my study, I found out that many of them, they had study abroad experiences as well, as you mentioned, because of, you know, the um, nature of STEM subject courses and uh, programs that require you to use English as an academic language. So they were more involved with uh, using English and they were also encouraging their students to present in the English medium. I remember even one of the professors that I interviewed, one engineering subject professor, uh, he mentioned that uh, he is trying to encourage their students to present in English uh, in their labs and uh, like for their seminars. And he said that uh, the Japanese students have a lot of difficulties in terms of, you know, presenting in English. So he was trying to have his seminars kind of bilingual. And also after the class, he was staying there to help the Japanese students to, um, you know, with, with their English questions and also try to help them to prepare um, their English slides for the next class. So he said that that is too much work for him, but he was really hoping to help their, his Japanese students to use English more and more. And also he tried very hard to create an environment for his students, both international and Japanese, to have more communication in English. For example, having um, some lunch meetings together so that uh, they can share their lunch with each other and they can talk in English uh, when they are having lunch and also other events and activities um, so that international students and Japanese students, they can have a lot of more interactive communication with each other and they can use English more. You note that there are still challenges for EMI courses in Japan, but mm -hmm. at the universities there where you researched and where you work, what do you think those universities are doing well if they're doing anything right? So, for example, I am currently involved in teaching a, a faculty development program at one of my universities. And this faculty development program is trying to encourage faculty members to uh, take the, this is not a course actually, to take the program and to practice um, how they can, uh, the ways that they can teach in the English medium and to get themselves more familiar with the issues around uh, teaching in the English medium. And I would say that this is a very helpful step, um, even though many faculty members, uh, they are very, really, really busy and usually very few of them, they participate in this uh, program. And they are running this program, I think, for about four or five years. And yeah, every semester we try to, based on uh, the survey that we ask, we try to um, come up with the themes that the faculty members want to uh, cover. For example, this semester we are talking about EMI and COIL and how EMI can be used in COIL classes. Uh, so even though the faculty members, for some of them, you know, using English would be challenging and difficult, so COIL would be one of the possible options in terms of um, having shared uh, in classroom environments with an English-speaking classroom, uh, not in Japan, and the students can, uh, you know, have a communication with each other in Japan and another country 
uh, in English. And I'm seeing that the those faculty members that are taking these uh, classes and are, and are joining us, they're getting more and more confident in terms of using English in their classes. And one of them eventually started to teach one class, another class in English, because he found that he is more confident. So this university is trying to encourage the faculty members to teach. And, and I would say in different universities, they are really at different stages. And if we look at graduates, programs that was the main focus of my PhD dissertation. As I mentioned before, the role of supervisor is really critical. So even though the support system and, you know, other things were not quite in place through the support of the informal support of the supervisor, many students were really, really satisfied about their experience. It's interesting that you bring up call computer-assisted language learning, because this was a topic that came up when I spoke to Professor Jenkins and her ideas about how to teach English as a lingua franca and how technology might be one of the ways that improves this going forward. And we also discussed the fact that during the coronavirus lockdown that we've been experiencing, that we're still under some restricted conditions, that this has encouraged teachers to look at more inventive ways of using technology to improve their students' chances to use English and also their ability as teachers to use English as a, as a teaching medium. So it's interesting that uh, you bring that up and that's, um, I think the faculty development is a very important way forward to bring in the experiences of other members of the university and, for one, show the teachers who aren't confident in using English to teach their courses that they're not alone and that there are people out there who have the same experience, the same thoughts, and also that there are people there who can help them. So I think that's a really positive way forward. Sorry, about this, um, yeah, COIL is one of the uh, means, but um, actually my point was about COIL, so maybe my pronunciation sorry, was not that clear. So the the co like collaborative online learning um, from one country to another country. And as you mentioned, yeah, the usage of um, technology, especially now that many universities are kind of forced to um, use technology more and more in the classes. It is one of the unfortunate mm -hmm. opportunities that have come about because of this virus uh, and hopefully we come out of the other side of this uh, global problem with an improved mm -hmm. understanding of how we can work together with other people mm -hmm. in our faculty, other people in other universities, even other universities in other countries to assist our students in their endeavours. The paper that we've been discussing is International Student Satisfaction at English Medium Graduate Programs in Japan. This was based on your PhD thesis. So yeah. are there any more levels that you're going to take this to? Do you know where you're going with your research in the future? Has this process highlighted the next area that you need to be focusing your energies on? After finishing my PhD, I became more interested in uh, the issues surrounding native speakerism in EMI, both in EMI and also in English language classes. So currently, I'm, I'm actually about to start. Uh, I'm currently doing the um, the ethical review process at uh, the my target universities, and I'm now more interested in the issues about native speakerism. Um, when I was collecting data, I found out that uh, the issues surrounding uh, being confident to, enough to use English as uh, Japanese professors would be something interesting to do research about. Also, for example, some 
previous research have shown that one of the biggest challenges for having more EMI classes is, is not having enough faculty members who are interested in teaching in the English medium. I'm also doing uh, going to have some collaborative research about EMI in Iran, my home country, and also about motivation in EMI, hopefully the next semester with uh, some other scholars. And about um, the, you know, the continuation of, of my PhD research, I'm still very much interested in exploring this issue at other Japanese universities, especially those that are not receiving the TGU funding or uh, any specific funding, and they are pretty much on their own in terms of developing their EMI programs. So I'm really also in, interested in exploring the situation at those universities. Well, I would agree with you that the Japanese education ministry tends to focus their funding and tends to focus their attention on quite a small group of universities, considering that there are over 770 universities in Japan that they would focus on fewer than 40 with their directed funding might be one of the reasons why EMI and ETP are not becoming more common in Japan. So I agree with you that investigating what universities can do on their own would be an interesting area of study going forward. So I look forward to seeing what you produce in the future. This is a, a field that I'm very much interested in. My research is also connected to this field. And as I was reading your paper, I was seeing a lot of people who I've quoted in the past, uh, Yonezawa mm -hmm. and his work on Grobara Jinzai, so the creating of globalized mm -hmm. human resources. Uh, and of course, my colleague Annette Bradford comes up mm -hmm. several times as well. So I'm, I'm always glad to hear these names again and that uh, people are reading each other's work and building on it and hopefully building a more, more positive future for Japanese universities. So I wish you the best of luck in your work. Thank you so much. The paper that we have been looking at was International Student Satisfaction at English Medium Graduate Programs in Japan. Thank you very much for your time today and uh, I hope that we get the chance to speak again in the future. Thank you so much for having me. If you'd like to contact the show, the best place to find out about us is our website, lostincitations.com. Here you can learn more about the background to this project and how you can get involved. Our hope is to help academics, educators, and online content producers get in contact with each other. Our email address is lostincitations at gmail.com. We also have Facebook and LinkedIn pages. Please rate and comment on the sites you use to download your podcasts. It helps us reach more potential listeners. But probably the most helpful thing you can do is, if you like our content, recommend it to a friend and let them know what we're trying to do. Thank you very much.